So if you're joining us this morning, um, let me tell you that we are concluding this morning what has become a little January series of speaking to matters of the church. We spent a week where we looked at our denomination's motto, the reason for our denomination's existence, and therefore the reason for our church's existence. And that was summed up in the motto that we want to be faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. And then we spent a week as we prepared for election of officers in light of that motto, and we, we learned about the office of elder, or we reminded about the office of elder and the qualifications that Scripture demands of those who would lead the church as elders. And then last week, for week three, we considered the office of deacon, that special office of servants of mercy who help to lead us in being thoughtful and intentional and mindful to minister for the gospel through physical needs around us. And I was tempted this morning to go ahead and begin our next series in 1 Peter and decided, no, let's start that in February. Instead, why don't we hit one more important subject in the month of January If we've talked about our leaders, and we've talked about our leading servants, why not a week to talk about the sheep? Why not a week to talk about the congregation? And so we will spend this morning on on that subject. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, part three. The flock under his care, congregational life and care. We need to be reminded who we are, who the Lord says that we are. And he calls us his sheep. You've heard it in several passages already this morning. And we've sung about it and we'll sing about it again at the end of the service. But this morning for our sermon, I have have two texts and they are both short. One I think you'll probably be very familiar with. The second, maybe not so familiar with. I don't know. But it will provide content for our sermon. So give your attention to Psalm 100 verse 3. And then Proverbs 14, verse 4. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And then Proverbs 14, 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much increase comes from the strength of an ox. That sounds a little odd, doesn't it? A little different? If you've not heard that before, it can sound like an Indian parable. But it's a parable in the Bible, and it's very meaningful. Let's pray that God would help us understand not just the passage, but ourselves and the church as well. Lord, for the good of your church and for the good of this church, we would pray that you would use this morning in the sermon to help us better understand ourselves. And Lord, help us to better understand your church as the people of God. And Lord, we ask this, that we might better know you 
in the worship of you as we should. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you, perhaps more women than men, though I don't wish to be stereotypical, some of you know the name Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo was a 19-year-old Japanese organizing consultant who occupied television screens and still does uh, that many people enjoy watching. I have only seen clips on YouTube. I have never watched Marie Kondo, though actually seeing some of those clips makes me want to invite her to the barn behind my house to help clean it up because that is her specialty. She has authored four books on organizing closets and homes of all their clutter. She has sold millions of her books, and her book titled The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up has been translated into 30 languages. Think about that. In 2019, there was a Netflix series titled Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And her method for purging clutter from our lives, her method for tidying things up, is basically asking a single question of everything that you own. And some of you women know what I'm going to say. Her question is to take the item in question and to hold it and to ask, does this spark joy? Right? She wants you to actually feel the energy off of the object. And if it brings positive vibrations, then you should keep the object. And if you should not feel positive about that pair of shoes or that sweater or whatever, then you should purge it. And people love this method. People pay money to read about this method. My problem is everything I hold, I can come up with a good reason to not purge that thing. There's always a reason or a way in my head to not get rid of something. But people have been fascinated by her method, by her tidiness, by the cleanliness of this, let me repeat, what was a 19-year-old girl. More on that at the end of the sermon. Does this spark joy? That is her method of of purging or keeping things. By the way, perhaps it should be presented in our session meeting in the future. Maybe we should have one question for church membership of the elders. Grab someone by the shoulders and, and ask, does this person spark joy? If they do, keep them. If not, purge them. Well, that's not how the church works, thankfully. And I would say this, that method of tidying up closets, that may work for closets, for homes, for living space. But that is the wrong mentality for ministry. And actually the whole mindset of tidiness and everything being perfectly in place and uncluttered is a really unrealistic view for ministry. You see, this morning we'll see that ministry itself is messy. And that's because sheep are messy. And shepherds are messy too. Right? You see where we're going. Ministry is messy. So Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4. 
Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. The feeding trough is clean. But much increase, much benefit comes from the ox. What does that mean? Well, let me explain that just for a few moments. So I grew up on a cattle ranch. My dad was retired from the Air Force and he moved. I was the youngest of three children, so I was not yet in first grade. I was entering first grade and he moved back to his home place and took over a cattle ranch. So I have memories from from kindergarten to, to when I left home to go to college of working on a cattle ranch. And no, I didn't enjoy it. No, I didn't like cows. But that whole experience helps me understand Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Because every time we had to work with the cows, get the cows up, whether in a catch pen or in the pasture, it's a muddy, messy, stinky experience. I can still feel what it felt like for my feet to sink three inches deep in the muck and in the mud and in the manure. Working in the catch pen, some of you have this experience yourself with, with pigs or whatever animals you may have. And there were times where I, as a 17, 16, 17-year-old, 17 having to work in that situation, you know what I thought to myself? Ugh, I don't like these cows. I don't like having to go over to the pasture. I don't like having to feed the cows, especially on Christmas morning. I can remember, couldn't open gifts until we had to go feed the animals. And, and that 16, 15, 16, 17-year-old Paul Patrick was like, ugh, I resented the cows. But you know what? Much increase come from the cows. Much benefit come from the cows. That is the point of the proverb. Picture the 17-year-old Israelite going out to do the duty of cleaning the manger. And he's like, you know, if there were no oxen here, this manger would be clean and I wouldn't have to do this. Wouldn't that be great? But then the reflection of the proverb is, oh, much increase comes from the strength of the ox. Consider what the ox does for us in gaining crops, in gaining, in gaining a harvest. And so it was for me, for, for, the, for the cattle, for the cows that we worked with. Oh, I wish I didn't have to do this. But if we didn't have the cows... I wouldn't have been able to go to Clemson University. Much increase come from the cow, right? Much benefit come from the cow. It's a simple proverb. I've actually heard it taught and preached one time, and now I've used it several times in, in my ministry because it reminds us the mess that God calls us to tend to and to deal with, God uses it. He uses it for the increase. He uses it for the benefit. And so our mentality should be that very thing. And ministry is one of those messes. Ministry is messy. And those of you who have had any interpersonal ministry with other people, you know that that's true. I'm pretty sure that Anthony Price from the Pathway House could tell us a lot of stories about the messiness of ministry the inconveniences of ministry, the costliness of ministry. That's how ministry is. It's messy. It's difficult. It's complicated. Sinclair Ferguson, in a sermon I heard him preach when I visited First Pres Columbia many years ago, I remember this line he told in a children's sermon. He said, ministry is messy. It is not tidy. 
And that is precisely right. Ministry is messy. It's not tidy. Marie Kondo is great with closets and great with homes, but that is not how the ministry of the church is going to look. That is not the experience that we have. One year ago, almost today, within a few weeks, we were concluding deacon training. And uh, some of the men know the story, or they will soon know the story that I'm about to tell. Um, But it was our last Sunday of deacon training, and I was leading the class. Um, But the day before that, the Saturday before that, some of our youth will remember this, in that same room where the deacons would meet the next morning, the youth had a work day to make flower boxes, uh, flower uh, pots, and bird boxes. We painted and we decorated, we built those things to take to some of our shut-ins, some of our teenagers for a visitation day. That was a year ago. So here's what happened. We built those things, we made those things on Saturday, and then boom, we're gone. Sunday morning, I come back in early and I cut on the lights in that room, and I saw what I did not see when I left the night before. It was a mess. It was very messy. And the mess was glitter. Pastor Paul hadn't pulled out the glitter. One of our youth knew where the glitter was found in a closet somewhere, and they pulled out the glitter. And so everything they decorated was beautiful, and it was glitterized. But the next morning, I cut on the light, and I see glitter on the table, glitter on the floor, and my first thought is, I'm about to lead adults in a Sunday school hour of training. I've got to clean this up. And then it occurred to me, two things occurred to me. Number one, I don't even know where the vacuum cleaner in our church is. Don't know where it is. Number two, I thought, no, wait a minute. Maybe this is the perfect thing for our deacons to see. Let's let them walk in the room, and they're they're probably going to be like me. They're going to walk in and be like, what happened here? Who did this? Right? And then I'll, I'll set it up for the big point, which is ministry is messy. Right? And so that is the point. And we made that point uh, that night or that morning. And by the way, by the end of the class, it was funny for me to look around and see these adult men who had glitter now on their hands and on their clothes and they would wipe their face and and Dr. Clay Hearn has glitter on his face and they've still got to come in here and be around all you. It's messy. Ministry is messy. So what's the conclusion? Okay, never again are we going to have our youth make flower pots and bird boxes to deliver to our shut-ins. Not going to do it anymore because of glitter. No. Where there are no bird boxes, the room is clean, but much increase come from the bird boxes. Now, some of you who receive those bird boxes, I know what you're thinking. They weren't very good. (laughs) They were my design. And I'll have you know, they're actually very special bird boxes. They were designed, you didn't know this, but they were designed for what's called the bee hummingbird which is the smallest humming, it's the smallest bird in the world. It weighs two grams. Unfortunately, that bird can only be found in Cuba. Um, I didn't have the right size drill to make the holes. It ended up just being funny, but that was not my point. My point is ministry is messy, and we need to know that. I preached this sermon at Presbytery uh, last April, 
And I had one of the teaching elders, one of the ministers come up to me afterwards and he said, I've had the same experience. I was in a church. We started a Bible study during the week. We had people coming. And he said, one of our own people actually complained that if we keep doing this, they're going to wear out the hinges on our door. It's true. They said that. And of course, the pastor is like, that's what the door's for. <laughs> right? That's what it's for. So we've got to have not a view of tidiness. We want everything to stay pristine. Um, grandparents, you know. Boy, it sure would be nice if the grandchildren didn't come over and muddy up the carpet. Where there are no grandchildren, the carpets are clean. But much increase come from the grandchildren. Right? So the things that can be an inconvenience to us, the things that can be difficult, we need to see them for what they are. God at work and a blessing. One more story. I've got too many stories this morning. So I, I was the campus minister at Erskine for almost 20 years. And in my second year, we started a Bible study and a cookout down in the barn behind our house that you have been to. And at the end of that first year, I remember walking outside in the month of June, summer schedule, and I realized that my driveway was very different one year later after having 100 cars a week come up it. The gravel that had been three inches thick, now all that gravel is pushed over from the cars turning to go right down towards the barn. And then down by the road where you turn into our driveway, there are potholes. And so every summer, every summer my children would get drug out there with me, would be dragged out there, my wife is correcting me in my mind, and we would get the fire rakes and we would move the gravel back and we'd go tend to the pothole. And do you know what went through this pastor's mind? Ah, oh, sure would be nice if my driveway didn't get messed up. Right? But then Proverbs 14.4. Oh, where there are no students, the driveway is smooth. But much increase come from the students. Right? So I don't know what it is for elders, deacons, church members, what specifically you need to think of. But we can be tidy and perfectionistic and wanting everything on time, on schedule, and convenient for us. But ministry is messy. It is not convenient. It is never convenient. And it is always costly. It costs money and it costs time. We heard this morning in Dr. Burnett's announcement that one of our missionaries is coming to town, Victor Naka. And he's going to stay with a family in our church for a month. It's probably not convenient. And he needs a car or he needs financial assistance to be able to commute. Ministry is never convenient and it's always expensive, right? We just need to know that. We need to have that mentality. It's not tidy. It's not going to be neat. It's going to be inconvenient. Another story. I remember, you know, my friend Bill May, who has led us in the widow's ministry, and I think I quoted him last week as well. He and I were going to Sam's Club. I think I've told you this. We were going to Sam's Club to shop for an event where we were hosting and feeding students. And so we're walking together through the parking lot, and I am on task. You have figured me out by now. I've got my shopping list. I've got my time I'm going to be in. I'm going to be out. And I'm talking to Bill, who's walking next to me, about let's go in here, let's get this, and let's get this. And then I realize, where'd Bill go? 
and he has crawled under a car because a widower was crawled under his car trying to fix something. And here I am with my list on schedule. We're going to get this done. And Bill, as awesome as he is, is like, forget that. Here's a need. I'm going to go address this. And what do you think went through this pastor's mind? Oh, inconvenient. Off schedule, right? Where there are no people, life would be easier. But we're here for the people, right? Ministry is messy. It's inconvenient. It's expensive. I could continue to illustrate, but you get the point. Number two, point number two. Ministry is messy because sheep are messy. Sheep are overgrown, woolly messes with mud and manure matted in the wool. And people are too. Human beings are too. We are a mess. You've heard me over and over again talk about how we are a sin-ruined mess. That's the Bible's depiction of us. It is the story of humanity. We are a sin-ruined mess. And the Scriptures remind us of this and how it affects ministry. That we are a people prone to conflict. We're a people who are prone to spar. We want to fracture and, and separate from people. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, in ministry, we're given an example of this. Where Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And apparently these were two women in the church that were at odds. And they were in conflict, yet they were servants in the Lord. And that is just a reminder of how sin-ruined God's people have always been. Sheep are messy, every one of us. People are also wounded. We're wounded people, wounded from past events, past relationships, past experiences. It can be with other Christians. It can be with other churches. It can be with other pastors. And we will bring those wounds with us and expect the worst of everyone because of it. And we will quibble and we will quarrel and we will fight. There's a video on YouTube that uh, so much captures this aspect of the hardship and the messiness of ministry. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's this. The video clip is a husband and a wife who are bikers. And this is in another country. They don't speak English. But they've ridden their bikes out into the country and they've come upon a wild dog that's trapped in a wire fence. And the wife is videoing the husband in all of his biker gear. Some of you are bikers and you can picture this. They're way out in the country and they come across an animal who has a hind leg trapped in a wire fence. And all they have are the tools on their bike. And he has a pair of, of pliers. And the video is him trying to go and release and cut the, all the wires that are entangled about, about the one rear leg of the wolf. And it's only about a minute and a half, two minutes long. And he cuts a wire, and he cuts a wire, and he cuts another wire, and it's down to one more wire, and the wolf will be set free. And so he tries to cut it, and all of a sudden, that wolf, who was wounded, and who was trapped, and who was scared, turned and lunged at that biker, 
And the biker's like, he jumps out of the way and he, he just misses and he gives up. He's done. At this point, he says, I've tried. We're done. And he gets back on his bike and they go away. It's a sad story. But when I watched that, I was like, oof. You know, sometimes ministry's that way. And you've had this experience trying to love people and serve people where you're doing the best that you can with the limited tools that you have. And all of a sudden, the wounded will, will lunge at you. And in ministry, you can grow weary and fatigued and be like, okay, that's all we can do. We can offer what we can, but, but that's it. So sheep are messy. They're sin-ruined. They're wounded. And we know that the axiom is true. Hurt people tend to hurt people. They lunge. And so ministry's messy. And sheep are messy. And, and the very nature of sheep we have to take into account. You know, by nature, sheep are a wandering creature. They are a stubborn creature. They are determined to go their own way and they will stray away. They will walk their own way and they will make a mess of themselves. I think I have a picture of you of a new character. I think the last time I talked about this, I told you about Shrek the sheep who had um, been rescued. He had wandered off and his, his coat, his wool, had overgrown to the point that he was near death. And they sheared him and they, they cut off 64 pounds of wool off of Shrek the sheep. Let me introduce you to Barak the sheep. Same story, and he has exceeded the story of Shrek. Shrek has 77 pounds of fleece. He's a lost sheep. He had escaped from his owner. His ear had been pierced, but he had lost his tag. And he's been in the mud and the manure and the briars. And he had to be rescued. He had to be shorn so that he could live. And you know, the Bible calls us a sheep, calls us sheep. And one of the reasons is because that's us. That's who we are. You know, it's not necessarily a compliment to be called a sheep. They're one of the most foolish animals on the earth. They're desperate for shepherds. They will wander away. They will walk into water. They will walk off cliffs. They will walk into water and they don't swim. Let me add that. They're a mess. They're sin ruined. They're wounded. And the nature of sheep works against it. And that's us. The Lord says He's our shepherd. We are the sheep of His pasture. So ministry is messy because sheep are messy. But lastly... The shepherds are messy too, right? The under-shepherds, God's earthly shepherds. We're not talking about the one true shepherd. That's the conclusion. We're talking about the shepherds that God uses to shepherd His sheep in this life. You know, the shepherds are sin-ruined too. They're marked by conflict too. In Acts chapter 15, we read about the sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. They couldn't agree about who to take with them in ministry and if they should abandon John Mark since he had abandoned them. And they had such a sharp dispute, it says in ministry, that they parted ways. Right? 
Shepherds are messy. Shepherds have conflict. Shepherds are sin-ruined. But fans of Ted Lasso will remember the line when his, he asks his boss, Am I a mess? And she says, Yes, you are. And then he, in his own lovable, super positive way, as only he can be, he says, Well, then I'm a work in prog mess. Right? There's hope. I don't have to remain as I, as I am. And so you and I, we're works in prog mess. We are a mess, but the Lord can redeem. The Lord can change. The Lord can do wonderful things. We're sin-ruined messes. John Newton is, is the perfect picture of this. You remember John Newton had been a slave trader for years of his life, had brought ruin and decay into his own life until the Lord intervened and redeemed him and made him to be a minister and a hymn writer. You know that story, but here's a story you may not know about John Newton. John Newton later in his life wrote a letter to a young minister. Okay, John Newton, who had come to learn that he was a great sinner and that Christ was his great Savior, he wrote a letter to a new young minister, and this is what it says. Surely I have it here. There it is. He says to this young minister, Your understanding of the gospel is intellectually sound, but there is much legalism in your experience of Christ, and that perplexes you. You are very capable of giving advice to others, but I wish you could apply more effectively what you preach. Now listen. You find it hard to believe that God would embrace or employ such a monster as yourself. Go ahead. Complain about your sin. Take a look at it. Look at it full in the face. You are a monster. You have inward evils. But that's not your problem. If you keep looking at them, you will actually see that you are worse than you think. But that's not your problem. Your problem is not your low opinion of yourself, but your too low of an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer. If you think God cannot work in you and through you, then that means you think your sins bear more weight than the work of the Redeemer. And this is certainly Wrong. If you truly know that you are a sinner, why are you constantly surprised by your sin? And though you say you have nothing good of your own, you act as though you believe you do, forgetting that the gospel is provision for the helpless and the worthless. Indeed, your complaints about your sin, when we come to examine them closely, well, they have as much self-will, self-righteousness, unbelief, pride, and impatience mingled with them that they are little better than the worst evils that you complain of. Now, that's a lot of words and that's hard, but, but capture what he's saying. He's saying, look, you have a great grasp on the fact that you are a great sinner. 
But there's another part of the equation. The gospel part of the equation is that you are a great sinner, but you have a great Savior. And he was chiding this young minister that he was just so down and hard on himself. Because why? Because he wasn't tidy. He wasn't perfect. And he didn't think God could use somebody who wasn't perfect and who wasn't tidy. And John Newton, who had been the slave trader, who had learned he was a great sinner, but he equally learned that he was a great Savior. And so we conclude the sermon and and we say this. How how do we apply all this? What hope is there for the sin-ruined mess that every one of us is? We're all sheep. Some are shepherds. All are sin-ruined messes. Well, our great hope is that the Lord is our shepherd. He tends to His people. He cleans the mess of the sheep. He works ministry through the mess. And so this morning, maybe we need to, some of us, repent of our tidiness. Repent of our self-described perfection. Repent of our control of all things. By the way, wrapping back to Marie Kondo, who now 20 years later is 39 years old. This is what she said in 2023. She says she's kind of given up on the Con Marie method after giving birth to her third child. She says, quote, My home is now messy, but the way I'm spending my time is the right way for me at this time and at this stage of life. Amen. You can only keep up the tidiness for so long. Then comes children, those blessed additions to our lives, and it redefines everything, and it should. Ministry is a mess. Sheep are messy and shepherds are messy too. But in all the mess, it is the Lord who is our shepherd. Psalm 40 verses 10 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and He rules with a mighty arm. His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. Here it is. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And it's in that context of the Lord being described as a shepherd that our Lord Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. We're a mess, but we have a good shepherd. And his name is Jesus. We're going to close in song in just a moment. And it's a song we've sung here once or twice in the last four years. But when you sing it, I want to challenge you. Can you sing these words personally, meaningfully, as a song of thanksgiving for the Lord's work as your shepherd. So give your attention to it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that in all of our mess, that every one of us is, that you are a great shepherd. You overcome the ruin and mess of our lives 
through the perfect life and death of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we rejoice that we have a good shepherd. We rejoice that we have one who can deliver, one who can save. And so may we, every one of us, and may this church, may we be reminded of this truth, and may we live with the confidence that comes from this truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.